Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together and uh, meditate on your word and encourage one another, ponder the, the scriptures that you have given us and have a, a high view of you and of your word. And um, we pray that this would be a profitable time that you may help us to understand what we read and uh, to remember it and to see how we can reach out to the people who do not know you better and uh, have a more communion with you. We ask for your, your grace in this time. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. All right, so welcome everyone. This is a, a series, a four-part series entitled Equipping the Saints to Know and Defend Their Faith. So we're going to have uh, five different parts. Today is the first one on five characteristics of the Bible. And then on December 17th, God willing, we will have a defense of why we trust the Bible. That's going to be pretty exciting. Welcome. And then on the 24th, we will not have adult Sunday school. And on the 31st and January 7th, we will respectively have irrefutable proofs that the Bible is divine. And then one, why Christianity is the only true religion. And so the goal of this particular uh, series is that you will uh, know more your faith. Uh, we should really see adults on this school and other uh, Bible studies during the week as adult catechism. We need to grow in our faith. There are so many things that we don't know. The, the Word of God and theology, and uh, it's so deep. Uh, they are so deep that we have always more to learn. And then, of course, we will be able to teach our children uh, to uh, um, be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within us to the people around us. And we will also be able to answer some, some, some objections and questions that people have. Come on in. So that's the goal. And today, the goal is to have a high view of God and a high view of Scripture. Because everything flows out from what we believe about God and what we believe about the Bible. And as we do so, we will see five different parts. So you have a, you have a, a, um, a piece of paper that has the different sections that we will be seeing today. We'll see five doctrines. Um, we will see the inspiration of scripture, the inerrancy, clarity, necessity, and sufficiency. Um, Caleb, can you please distribute the last two over there to those who don't have? Thank you. And. Um, <clears throat> So for each, we'll have a definition. Then we'll talk about what that means in a nutshell. We'll see selected key verses. I'll have some questions for you so we can interact. I was thinking about bringing an hourglass so we can make sure we are on track time-wise, but we'll see how that goes. And then I have encouragement for further learning, uh, for you to deepen your understanding, do some further study, and you have some space uh, uh, for notes in each section. So let's start with the doctrine of the inspiration of the Bible. Definition. Men guided by the Holy Spirit wrote the very words of God with their own language skills and personal history. So what that means is that every single part of the Bible, that's why it's called, ver uh, inspiration is called verbal plenary inspiration. That's how you, you will hear about it when you read books or even when you hear uh, comments uh, during uh, a sermon. Uh, and so on, and that's something important for you. So the inspiration of the Bible is plenary, that is all of it. Hey, good to see you. Thank you. And uh, so it's really all of the Bible that's inspired. The Bible is, is not containing the Word of God. All of it is the Word of God. And it's also verbal, that is every single word of Scripture is inspired. It's not that God has placed some general thoughts or ideas and then the details are not precise, is that every single word is inspired. And so in a nutshell, what that means is that the Bible is 100% divine and 100% human. It is all of it is the word of God, and yet all of it was written by men. All scripture, therefore, is divinely authoritative. So because all of it is from God, then all of it is going to have authority in my life and all of it will matter. So when you read the, the different, different books of the Bible, there are 66, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New, you will see that um, 
Paul he will write that he he was beaten down or he he had a he almost died or he was uh, uh, in a boat that uh, shipwrecked and those are things that he lived out so uh, you will see that you will see uh, Jeremiah saying that he was uh, very sad and that he weeped over Israel you will see um, the different aspects of their personal history and then you will see also uh, that's something that I, I don't really appreciate because I am not uh, uh, an expert in the languages but people who are and even ourselves we can see that all the books are not exactly written in the same style right mm -hmm. and so there are some books where the author he has less vocabulary he is less formal than another one so we see the differences of the different authors in the Bible and so this is all because actual men wrote down what you what you see and yet everything they wrote was from God so let's uh, see the key verses uh, in 2nd Peter 1 19 through 21 we have the emphasis on the fact that people were involved in writing down the Word of God so prophecy in the Bible it's, it's not um, something that is only about future events like we usually think about when we think of prophecy that's a connotation that came from the Middle Ages but prophecy literally means speaking on behalf of God speaking for God and so when we hear about the prophetic word it doesn't mean just things about prophecy future events it means whatever God has spoken through messengers who would be prophets or apostles so let's read verse 19 and we have the prophetic word the Bible more fully confirmed then verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So you see that you cannot take the Bible and then, and then say um, that whatever is uh, written here, you can say, oh, that's my interpretation. Well, this is their interpretation. When people say that uh, we have so many different interpretations, the question is, because the text says in verse 20 that no part of Scripture is coming from someone's interpretation, the question is, what is God's interpretation? What, what did he mean? Right? And then in verse 21, we see that there was no part of the Bible or even the oral prophecies that were uttered in, in the old times that came because someone wanted to speak and God had not appointed them. In fact, when that was the case, um, it was judged. So here it says, see that, verse 21, men spoke from God. Men spoke from God. And how did that happen? Who can tell us? Yes? I remember in Hebrews 1, it says that in the old days, um, God spoke to our fathers in, in uh, vision, prophecies, and so on and so forth. So, yes, like, yeah, there was vision, there were prophecies, there were dreams. Dreams, yes. And then angels, too. Excellent. So I just remembered something I wanted to show you. It's actually in the further learning, but since we're on this, we all will do a 180 degree turn. So we're going to compare three things. We're going to compare inspiration versus revelation versus illumination. Okay, so... Revelation works like this. God's mind, then a content is revealed to a prophet's mind. All right. So Paul would say, the gospel it's not my gospel, it's God's gospel, and he revealed it to me, or Jesus revealed it to me. So that's an idea in God's mind that he transfers in the mind of a messenger. That's revelation. Inspiration is the prophet's mind. Inspiration, re written down. in scripture you see that 
That's inspiration. That's when God has revealed something to a prophet and he inspires the text to be flawless. And then, any questions so far? So God has an idea, he gives it to a messenger. He has this idea clear, it's a revelation. And then inspiration, the idea is in the mind of the prophet and he writes it down. And then illumination, that's when we have the written word. So this is, if you will, one, this is two, and this is three. So uh, God's mind, prophet's mind, prophet's mind written down in scripture, written down in scripture, illumination, your mind. Yes, so that's revealed by God, supernatural, then that's guided or superintended by the Holy Spirit, right? The text says, man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then as we read the Bible today, the Holy Spirit, he opens the eyes of our hearts so that we may see the wondrous things of the Word of God. So we are enlightened, we see. So that's how it works. So today, there is no more revelation. That's, that's past. And the inspiration has already happened. We have the full, complete Word of God, all 66 works, books of the Bible. But today what we do is we meditate on the Word of God by relying on the Holy Spirit, and He teaches us the truth. Okay, so then Donaire's what she just said is that this, uh, this revelation, it happened in different ways. It happened in dreams, it happened in, you know, God writing down in tablets. Uh, by uh, his own fingers, so to speak, and it happened in uh, and with an animal talking, all kinds of different ways, right? And so now we have the scripture, and we study, and we can have the very mind of God in our mind. That's why in Colossians, uh, in First Corinthians two, it says we have the mind of Christ. We can have God's mind. This is what we are discussing today. We can have the very ideas and words of God in our own mind through the Bible. All right, so good good discussion on this. <clears throat> the second the second passage. If you can turn to or if you uh, can see 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17, that's the second verse quoted there. It says all scripture is breathed out uh, that's the literal translation. You may have inspired in the Bible version you use. So all scripture is inspired or breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So here you see that the Bible is literally the word of God. When I speak, there is air coming out of my mouth. So I'm breathing out. I breathe in, I have air in my lungs, I can speak. And so as God breathed out and spoke, this is what scripture is, uh, is like, actually. It is completely breathed out by God. And, uh, and then, as we will see later on, it's profitable so that we will be complete and ready for everything we need. Who can read for us loud and clear 1 Thessalonians 2.13? 1st Thessalonians 2.13 This is going to tell us how we should see the Bible. 1st Thessalonians 2.13 Yes. And when we also, oh, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what is it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Amen. So the Bible is the word of God. It is written down by men, but yet at the end of the day, they wrote down God's, God's own words, what is breathed out by God. And it is powerful in us who believe. So questions for you. How would you respond if someone says, well, the Bible is not divine. It was written by men, right? You'd have to say yes and no. Because it was written by man, but inspired by God. Yeah, exactly. It's, 
it's it's actually not a problem I like to say it this way so God who made all the universe just by speaking it into existence it's really not that hard for him to write a book using people is it there's nothing that's really impressive if you just consider that aspect compared to the whole universe God can write a book he can use people easy it's really easy so that's not supposed to be something that trips people it's not because people are involved that the result you know cannot be uh, divinely divinely ordained and and used even when we talk about inerrancy people say well if god used um man then the result cannot be perfect and you can have people writing books about math that are actually flawless there's no error whatsoever in it it's not because people are involved that suddenly it means God could not possibly write down his words or it could not be flawless. But that doesn't follow, actually. Second question. Is 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 12, saying that some Bible paths are not inspired? Uh, Jonah, could you please read for us 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 12? And then the question is, is this passage saying that some parts of the Bible, they're not coming from God? 1 Corinthians 7, 10-12? Yes. Um, okay. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Thank you. So it's a discussion about uh, marriage and, uh, and um, there are some questions that were asked by the Corinthians. And he says, this I say to you, and that's not from me, it's from the Lord Jesus. And then later on he says, that's not from the Lord Jesus, it's from me. So then some people say, you see here, there are some sections that really don't come from God. They are just personal advice from Paul. So what's the answer to this? What do you think? Yeah? to another piece of scripture where Paul, Paul in another part he's, he, he um, mm -hmm. also there's another part where he is saying from his he's saying from his own words but he says but me but I myself um, would believe that I am uh, led by the Holy Spirit that's that right the Holy Spirit inside of me so yeah so that's uh, um, that's First Corinthians 14 he says I am inspired by God uh, I'm speaking from God so what does he mean then in this passage Yes? Maybe that, well, I've read this chapter before. It he's has, Paul has a lot of suggestions, not commands in this. And he says that, okay, I am totally lost here, but. About re remaining single, for example? Yes, that. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, I, I, I lost, I don't, I can't find the verse. We're going to see your point. Yeah. So, but still, you know, the fact that he says um, you should remain single if you have the same gift uh, as I have, um, that does not mean that he's not speaking by the Holy Spirit the very words of God. It just means that in that case, it doesn't apply to everybody. It applies to uh, different people depending on their gifts, right? So here is the answer. The answer is that when he said, this I speak, not I, but the Lord. He's saying, Jesus talked about that when he preached. And you can find about that in Matthew 7, uh, 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he is basically freely quoting Jesus. But Jesus had not talked about every little aspect. And so there are some things that Paul gets further revelation later on. And then he says, this is not something I'm quoting uh, Jesus. You know, here I'm, I'm adding something that Jesus had not mentioned yet and he will do that later on when he talks about the resurrection in greater details too so all the Bible is inspired um, but uh, there may be some sections where there is a quotation and so on third question why does it matter yes uh, to answer also your question you know like uh, what you can probably say better than I do I don't really want to sermon about that it's it's a false argument when people say, oh, the Bible has been written by man and not by God. Because okay. um, the reason is that if I dictate a letter to you, and then you send it to someone, 
nobody's gonna say, well, Jonas wrote that, not you. Well, it was all, every single word were mine. So basically, that's my letter. So it's basically a false argument. It's not, it does, it's not valid. Yeah, so what Donners just said is that um, if uh, God is, uh, is dictating uh, people to write what he wants, then even if they are agents of writing, uh, God is still the author. So I think I agree with the, the gist, but that brings up uh, kind of a detail that you would learn if you study inspiration uh, in depth, is that there are different theories of inspiration. There is one that's called dictation. That's uh, something that's, for example, the, the Muslims claim. They claim that, uh, that there was a... Uh, every single word dictated to the one who wrote down the Quran, right? So that's what they claim. And then there is, um, uh, it's also called mechanical inspiration. So the person is just writing down, he doesn't think. But that's not what we have here. We have God revealing, and then people with their own skills, they select the language, word, the words they know, and the history they have. So the idea you, you brought up is still valid, but we should not think of inspiration as something that was dictated, because people were actually involved. They were involved, as the definition says here, with their own language skills and personal history. So they were not puppets writing down whatever was told to them. They were actually just writing this down on their own, but they were carried along uh, along by the Holy Spirit. Um, yes? I think it's good for us to have an answer for the questions that people may bring at the same time. Uh -huh. I wouldn't necessarily expect for people to fully understand because one, they don't have the Holy Spirit and usually the people that make those arguments, they, are, they want to reject who God is. So. Yeah, it's true. Uh, we'll talk more about that with the clarity of Scripture. Um, so it's true, we should always be discerning who is asking the question and why do we see any intent of actually learning or is this just to uh, reject God and we should be wise not to uh, spend time uh, um, casting pearls to people who uh, just do not want to listen. But Jonah, yes. uh, often it's the case that when we talk with people or we argue with people, we don't do it to change their minds. Sometimes it's mostly for the other people in the, in the hearing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there are times when we should not say anything, and there are plenty of times where we should speak. We probably err on the wrong side. Um, so, third question, uh, one of the most important ones in this section. Why does it matter for you to pay attention to every word of Scripture? Because if we say we believe in God and His Word is revealed to us, mm -hmm. don't we want to know more about God and know what He is about? Therefore, right. we can glorify Him. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. To glorify God, we should listen to what He says and know Him. Uh, what about the every word piece? Yes, Bobby. Every word is important. Some people focus on just a little thing like a, a snippet of a verse and take it out of context mm. and apply their own things to it and that's not how we should be studying the Bible it's study that's right yeah some people take the the passage out of context because they don't pay attention to words something else and also I mean the verse one of the verses we just mentioned it was saying that every word is um, profitable to equip us for every good work and to build us up and and judge yeah, to, to equip us for every good work. And, you know, if we're missing any word, we could be missing any part of that, the armor that we need um, to contend for faith. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. And one more thing. Someone has something else to say about this. Yes. Uh, I would say also because this is the way that Jesus interprets his scripture. All right. That's very good. That's how Jesus interpreted the Bible. Um, he basically said... Um, what I'm telling you is true because in the Old Testament, God uses that word. And so that's, that's key. We, we basically cannot come to the meaning of a passage of the Bible correctly without interpreting the words correctly. So the, the ideas, they come from the words. If you don't have the right words, you'll get the text wrong. So you will have, you will have no truth from God coming to you if you don't pay attention to the words and to the exact words that he spoke. So when, when Pastor Grady is, is preaching, for example, you will see that sometimes he pauses and he says, that word, that word is meaning this, and it's used in that, and in this way in the New Testament, or he may give us some insights about the Greek, because that's how you get the meaning. If you don't have the right word, the right detail in that word, you don't have the same meaning. So if, the, if, the, if this is a verb, 
Well, well, is it in the present? Is it in the past? Is it the, is it in the in the future tense? Is it an imperative? Those are going to change what that means for you and for me, right? So as I study the Bible, every single word is going to be critical for me to understand what it means. Also, kind of what Bobby said, and then we'll have to move on, but. Oftentimes I've seen people, I'm showing them a, a Bible verse or a section that has multiple times a particular word or phrase and then it's clearly communicating something. And they, they kind of retreat and they say, well, but you know, the general idea in this passage is this and that. And then they discard the, the details, the specific applications that come from those words and those phrases. You see, you cannot do that. If the words are saying something, then this is authoritative from God. We have to see what it means. If the Bible says women cannot teach or take authority over men, well, those are the words, cannot teach or take authority over men. It doesn't say cannot teach by taking authority over men. It says teach or. There are so many cases like that. If, if the Bible says um, that uh, without holiness, no one will see the law. You know, you can't just say, well, without holiness, you know, pastors won't see the law, but I'm off the hook, it's, it's not me. No, it says no one. You see, so it's me. Every single word, it matters big time. And even um, when uh, Paul quotes the Old Testament, he says, when it was given to Abraham the promise, it says seed, not seeds. That is Christ. So he says, you see this word? It's not in the pro, is it? It's in the singular. He's saying God was promising to Abraham a seed, and it says it's a singular seed, and that is Jesus. So, you, you know, the smallest detail, it can change everything in the meaning. It can be the difference between talking about people or Jesus Christ. So we really want to pay attention to the Word as we study, as we share the Bible. Yes, Pastor Gabe. Yeah, and, and you know, our, our whole, the whole Bible that we have comes from the Trinitarian God. Jesus said in, in uh, John 14, 26, he said, uh, and you'll see that here, he says, uh, uh, sorry, 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, uh, whom the Father will send in my name. So there's three, right? Uh, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So when I talk to unbelievers, I, I go there sometimes. I talk about uh, also that Jesus was the Son of Man. He was fully man and fully God. The Bible is fully man and fully God, kind of in the same right. sense. Yeah. Yeah, and, and exactly, and, and they are, it's like the Trinity, basically this 100% divine, 100% um, human, it comes from, it is found in all the big doctrines. So if you feel some kind of tension, I don't know how exactly all that can happen. Um, like I said, it's not hard for God to write a book. But beyond that, Jesus, 100% uh, divine, 100% human, the Trinity, three in one, how the two work, I don't really know. Sanctification. I should be working hard to follow the Lord and have a worthy walk, and yet He's at work in me both to do to the will and to the doing. And uh, um, you have that in so many doctrines where you have some mystery to it, but you have to see that the Bible, we should receive it as it truly is, which is the Word of God. So for further learning, I would encourage you to study the view of Jesus on inspiration on those verses. Uh, we'll move on to the doctrine of inerrancy, the number two. The definition, the scripture is without error in its original manuscripts, also known as the autographs, and we have a reliable copy. So the Bible in its original manuscripts had no errors, and uh, that was inspired by God to be infallible and to be inerrant, and were, there were zero errors. And then the Bible was copied over time. And the copying process is not actually guided by God to be 100% accurate. The only people who were inspired were the uh, prophets, and the text was inspired. But today, we actually have a copy of the Bible. We, ha we don't have the original, but we have a copy. And this copy, and we'll see more about that next week, God willing, this copy is reliable. So we do have the Word of God. But again, as I mentioned, the inerrancy piece is about the original manuscripts. And why does that matter? Well, because if the original are inspired by God and inerrant, and we have a reliable copy, then we have the truth. And so people who deny inerrancy, I kind of answer uh, the further learning question, why do people reject inerrancy and who are the people who reject inerrancy? I'll tell you. The people who reject inerrancy are everywhere. 
most churches in America, uh, they actually reject inerrancy or they never teach inerrancy. Most seminaries have recently just walked away from inerrancy uh, because they don't actually believe that the Bible is, is, uh, is perfect from God. They have strayed from that. And they are basically liberals to some degree, not completely, and, you know, it depends on the people, but they, at the end of the day, they are, they are more on the liberal side. And then they deny inerrancy because they want to pick and choose what they want to believe. So inerrancy is, um, in a nutshell, is the fact that since God cannot err and cannot lie, then his word cannot have any lies or errors. It is only truth and it has no errors. It's really straightforward. In the character of God, we see the result of his works. God cannot err, cannot lie. His word has only uh, is truth and has no errors. And so in our Bibles, there are neither contradictions no errors regarding historical or scientific facts or anything else that the scripture affirms. So typically people who deny inerrancy, they will, they will say there is uh, evolution. They will not accept that the Bible says God created everything out of nothing in six literal days. They will dispute that. They will say, you know, well, yeah, it says that, but either they will deny the words and they will say, well, generally speaking, it just means that God created, but he could have used evolution. But if you look at the words, you plainly see he didn't. He made people out of the dust. That's not evolution. And that's also how Jesus quoted the passage. So obviously Jesus was not wrong, was he? And, uh, and so they, 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 they don't want to be faithful to the text. And so they say, well, no, about the Christian life in general, right? There are no errors. But when it comes to the scientific facts mentioned here and there in the Bible, you know, this is not, uh, this is not true. So they would deny that uh, because they want to look good with the modern uh, era where people say, oh, you Christians are smart, right? You, you know the science. You know what we believe. So they, they side with the, the evolutionists. And the same is true for history. So they will say uh, things like, well, these, the Israelites, they were never in Egypt in slavery. You know, they will say, we, we don't have any record of that. As if the Bible was not a, a historical document with uh, uh, hundreds of copies. Yeah, we have plenty of documents. And so they, they, people reject inerrancy, they will um, drop the ball on the historical piece, the science piece, and also when, when it comes to doctrine, they will do that. So for example, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, women should be silent in the churches in the context of the preaching. So they will say, well, no, that's just an error from Paul here. It's not actually from God. You see, so we can't do that. We can't just pick and choose. We have the whole counsel of God, and it comes from God, it is truthful, it has no errors, we have a reliable copy, and we submit to the Word of God. That's really what is at stake in here. So I will never go to a church unless there is no other church anywhere near that is not believing in inerrancy. Inerrancy is just, you cannot negotiate. As soon as you drop inerrancy, just wait and see liberalism and the disaster that's coming in this institution. Just wait. And when it comes to the Bible, uh, you have to put your faith in God. So for example, in the past, people from the Catholic Church said that, uh, you know, they denied the solar system as it is actually in reality. They said the Earth is the center of the universe and so on. And they had a lot of, uh, uh, they were just uh, uh, deciding truth for themselves. And, uh, and then they, the Bible had always said that uh, it was not like that, that some of the claims they made were not correct. There were many different claims. The earth is flat. The Bible denied that. Uh, but they actually had said that, and so they just left. We're just going to plant our flag. That's, that's what we teach, even though the Bible didn't say that. Because at the time, the philosophers believed that. And so because they wanted to please the philosophers and be just like, well, we believe that too, they just said, uh, no, we, we teach the same thing as the modern people. And then later on, then the church... Uh, people who taught that they look like fools because that's not true. So today you have a choice. You can decide to believe the Bible that evolution is a lie, doesn't make any sense, it's not actually scientific, uh, and you can believe the Word of God, or you can believe the people who do not know how it was made because they were not there. You can believe God and just wait. In several hundred years, people will go back and they will say, Oh, look at those Christians, they believe in evolution, you know, we know it's so foolish now. But if you believe the Bible, as time progresses, 
Everything that we get to know confirms the Bible. It's the same in archaeology. People say, oh, David never existed. There was never a temple, this or that. Or they come up with all kinds of things. And then, uh, oh, there was never a Jericho. And then they find the actual location of Jericho with all the details and the fire traces and the coins and the walls falling down and the earthquake. And people are like, yeah, that's what the Bible said, right? And so you just wait and the Bible is going to be confirmed by history and science and everything. The question is today, are you actually going to believe God and that He is true and He knows what He says, or are you going to just fumble? And I pray you don't. You actually just believe everything the Bible says. Caleb, um, you want to say something? I just want to say Yeah, yeah, they may have thought that, that the earth was at the center because it was the only place with human beings. And I believe the latter is true, but the former doesn't actually have to follow. Why would it have to be at the center? It doesn't have to be, right? Even if this is the only place where the image of God is found. Um, so, the verses. Psalm 12, 6. The words of the Lord are pure, like silver refined in the furnace on the ground, purified seven times. So the words of God... They don't have any uh, impurities like silver has, and you have to remove that with oven treatments, thermal treatments. No, they are pure, so pure, there's the image of the sevenfold purification process. Psalm 19.7, <clears throat> the law of the Lord, which is um, a figure of speech for the Bible, it uses different terms such as the precepts that we will see in, in the next uh, doctrine. So the law of the Lord, the Bible, is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Uh, so question number two, let's try to be brief so we can try to finish the study if possible. But let me ask you, if someone says, Paul, James, and Peter do not agree in doctrine in the New Testament, uh, what would you say? <laughs> yeah, prove it, that would be good, because sometimes people just, they fly an idea like, okay, so where does that come from? And they're like, I don't know, well, looks like you don't know what you're talking about then, right? But let's say they come up with something, then you might show them, oh, actually, these two verses, they don't contradict each other, it's just that you didn't understand them correctly. Or you might say, you know what, I don't know about those verses right now, but, you know, I'll, I'll talk to my pastor or friend about it, I'll do some study, and I'll come back to you. And if the person is really interested, then you can have a good Bible study going on. Uh, well, first I, I will probably ask them what doctrine they're talking about that Paul and Peter since agree on, because I don't know any doctrine what they disagree on. But uh, if they talk about <coughs> dispute that they had, mm -hmm. I would say that's not a doctrine first uh, that the Bible talks about, and people do make mistakes, and Peter made one, more than one. But the beauty is that the fact that he was corrected and then he repented. Yeah, yeah. So typically, people when they say that, those are liberals who say, you know, like the doctrine of James it does not accord with the doctrine of Paul. They have two different views of salvation, and then they will just say uh, Peter uh, he says something that contradicts Paul, and they just try to make you feel like, wow, the Bible really has contradictions everywhere. But it doesn't because it's all from the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth, and. Uh, he actually wrote consistently about who God is, who man is, etc. We'll see that next week. So there's actually, there are no, no contradictions. There are many books that have been written to explain um, uh, alleged uh, contradictions, and um, this is really not something that should trouble you. So, <coughs> trick question that I will answer myself. What if someone says, well, there are some people's names and numbers that are not the same in various Bible manuscripts. And it's actually true. So when you have manuscripts, sometimes they are, they are like uh, uh, first names or last names. And they look at, uh, if you look at the different manuscripts, they're, they're not actually written in the same way. And so it could be because, you know, in France, in France it's uh, Jonas. And then in the US, it's Jonah. It's just one letter difference. So it may be that that comes from those kinds of things. It may be also that um, 
if you have a manuscript and then there's like a little piece that is like rotten or damaged or maybe there is some uh, stain there's one letter that's gone if it's a word like eating you know uh, you can figure it out the i is missing well you know you've seen that before you see the context that's eating but if it's the first name uh, and it's kind of a rare name or whatever the case may be an old name well that doesn't have to actually make sense what letter is missing so over time there are some uh, there are some copying variations or errors that occurred in the manuscripts and it's it's well known but the thing is that you know whether this person is called Jonah or Jonas that doesn't change my faith does it and the same is true about many other things like the number of casualties in a war so there are variations in the copies uh, but as we see next week there's actually 99% uh, plus 99.9% um, accuracy um, confidence that we have that we have a copy that's just like the autographs for the New Testament for example so the delta that we have in our copies because they are some that's why if you have different translations you'll see that they're not exactly the same in every little place they do not affect any doctrine so there's nothing about creation redemption prophecies of the end times or who Christ is or the gospel or the church none of that is actually impacted by those variations so you can basically say, yeah, that's correct, but how does that change the fact that you have to repent of your sins and believe in Christ? Mm -hmm. That's clear in the New Testament, is it not? Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, so you can study inerrancy and the view of Jesus in the further learning verses. Let's move on to the third part, the clarity of Scripture, also known as the perspicuity of Scripture. And what that means is that the Bible is clear and understandable in its central message and most, uh, and most of its content by a natural reading of the text, right? You don't need to have special skills in interpretation or to be a scholar or to be a clergy from a particular denomination so, so you can understand the Bible and the others really can't or have some special knowledge. No, you don't. Uh, we deny that as Protestants. We believe that it's false that only some can understand or that no one can understand. We believe that young and old can and must know the scriptures. Even children can understand the scriptures, as the Bible says. And uh, we see that in Psalm 19.8, the precepts of the Lord, the word of the Lord, are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And then if you turn the page on Psalm 119.105, the familiar verse, the word of the Lord is obscurity. Is that what it says? No. It's a lamp. So it's clear. It provides light and guidance. And we see what we should do, where we should go. The word, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So questions. What would you advise someone to do if they found the Bible unclear? Or a passage unclear? Outside of like reading a study Bible? Or... Yeah, that's that's one. You okay. could recommend them to have a good study Bible that would have some explanations. That's a good one. Something when else? I read it, when, I, when I did in English, uh -huh. I didn't know English, I, uh, somebody gave me the type of Bible that has all the versions so amplified. Okay. <laughs> so that helped me with English and understanding. Also. Yeah. People should pray before they yeah. read their Bible. Here we go. Pray for wisdom. Yes. So every time uh, we study the Bible, we should ask for God's help, for the Spirit's help to understand, to remember, um, and uh, and then God is going to help us. Yes. I remember in the Pilgrim's Progress, there's a moment <coughs> where Christian is in his journey, and the first person that uh, he's sent to see is the interpreter. And I love that because Jesus says that we should be disciples and make disciples. So you can't just take the Bible and say, okay, I'm going to read it and that's it. I don't need anyone. You, you, we are called to read the Bible, of course, on our own. But we need on the interpreter, quotation mark, to uh, quote uh, John Bunyan. Um, and that is a mentor. Somebody is going to disciple yeah. us. So, uh, and today we are provided with so many great teachers, right? So I think, yeah, we need to go to church, we need to listen to sermons, we need to go to go. Sunday schools, for example, uh, we need to go to Bible studies, and we need to have somebody who mentors us. Great, yeah, going to church, there are teachers in the church to teach us, and then um, asking questions to people, having mentors, uh, using the resources that are available. The Very good. The form of learning is to actually 
teach it back to someone. Mm -hmm. And so like you got like, it's like part one is to have it poured into you. But until you have to articulate it out to others, your brain does not. Right. And it's like for any learning, not just biblical, like it doesn't process it's the same. And then once you teach it, now it's stored into your long-term memory and you're less likely to ever lose that. Excellent. So what's the application from this comment? Be discipled, then disciple. <laughs> Every one of us, you will take this and you will go to talk to someone and tell them all about it. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Alright, that's great. Um, so quick question, quick answer. Why can Christians understand the scriptures better than unbelievers? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. <laughs> that's it. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. So what do we do about um, the quote-unquote hard to understand passages from 2 Peter 3.16? Right? So scripture is clear, but there are some passages that are hard to understand. So, um, I, I well, the first verse that comes to my mind is when um, Peter's saying that Paul has some things in his letters that are hard to understand, which mm -hmm. the ignorant and uh, the ignorant um, twists their own destruction. Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, don't let's not. Um, one of the main things is for us not to put our own interpretation into those things. It's if it's hard to understand, we'll immediately in an attempt to understand it, put our own interpretation, uh -huh. which happens in a lot of other religions like Mormonism and such. I mean, they twist it to their own destruction. Yeah, because they can't understand it because they don't have the Holy Spirit. So, right. So then I would say, uh, don't rush it. If it's hard, just admit I don't know what it means right now. Um, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna uh, look at some resources. Uh, but what I wanted to uh, to uh, help you remember here is that Scripture interprets Scripture. So if this passage is not clear about that, there's another passage that's clearer about this, and it's gonna shed light on this passage that's harder. Right? So clearer passages inform us or shed light on less clear ones. And uh, quickly, why do people claim that the Bible is not clear? Generally speaking? Yes? Because they don't want to believe in it? That's right. They don't want to believe. It's not like, you know, there are plenty of sections where Jesus said, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, you know, what's not clear about the repent now? very clear but if someone doesn't want to see that then they won't so I, I wrote in the in the nutshell section God is the master communicator the problem is not in his words it is in man's heart that is the mind and will so you see if the Bible is not clear uh, it would mean that God is incompetent to communicate he just wrote a book but you know He's like the scientist who knows all the things, but when it's time to teach anything, like, just forget it. You catch nothing that he's saying. You know, the God is not like that. God is able to communicate to everybody. He's the master communicator. He's the author of languages. God, his word, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just so deep, so clear, everyone can understand. So deep that even the most learned, he's going to just never uh, get to the bottom of it. And... Um, and so we have this encouragement, and we know the intent is usually not right. All right, so we move on to the sufficiency. So I thought that I was not going to be able to finish, and maybe I'm going to be right. And so I thought I'm going to take number five and put it to number four, because, you know, we just cannot have this one missed. So the sufficiency. So the sufficiency, what it means is that the Bible is sufficient for life and practice. Or it's also termed this way. The scripture is the sole, like the only, the sole rule of faith and practice. In a nutshell, it means that we believe in the Bible's sufficiency when all of daily life and church life is governed only by the principles of the Word of God without adding or subtracting from it or relying on other means for spiritual guidance and power. So, I'm going to uh, tell you uh, an illustration I heard some time ago. Right, so this is the sword of the Spirit, is it not? So imagine a real sword. And someone says, oh, I have this sword, and it's like inerrant, it's from God, it's, it's perfect, and uh, it is clear, and I'm going to put it in, in this. Imagine this is like a wooden box with a glass case. And it's going to put this sword in the case right there. Just put it right there. And the person says, do you believe the sword is inerrant? And the sword is clear, like, oh yeah, look look at this sword. It, it's beautiful, it's here, it's <laughs> perfect. And then, and then it says, let's go for battle. And the person just leaves the sword and goes, just like that, no problem. 
That's what we do. We say, yes, the Bible is inerrant. It's the word of God. And then, and then we say, oh, you have this problem in your life? Oh, let's go to the counselor. Let's go to the psychiatrist. Let's go to the therapist. Let's go to the scientist. Let's go to my own ideas. So we don't actually believe it's sufficient. It's great, it's perfect, but I don't use it. So I'm actually not believing that this is sufficient. So really, all of that doesn't matter so much, does it? Because you're not actually using it. So sufficiency is so key. You have to believe that this Bible, like uh, the fifth path that we won't see, but you have the notes, is actually necessary. You cannot become a Christian without the Bible. You cannot be sanctified without the Bible. Like it says in First um, Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth, and then 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, which is what we speak, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So I'm actually born again through the word. People think I, I, I became a Christian because I, uh, this and this and that happened in my life. But it wasn't with the Bible. And it's actually false. You became a Christian because the seed of the gospel of the Bible was sown into your heart. And at some point, through the ministry of the word and the spirit, you were made born again through the word. So you cannot, you cannot be a Christian without the Bible. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. You cannot be sanctified without the Bible. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. So it's absolutely necessary. But it's not just necessary, it's sufficient. There's nothing else that you need for life and practice, for life and godliness. So let's see the verses. All scripture, we've just seen it before, but we have to look at the end of the verse now. All scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, is breathed out by God and profitable. So you stop here. All this Bible, even the genealogies, the Old Testament, the greeting sections, everything is profitable. It's useful. All of it is useful. There's not a single path that's just there, but you know, just move on. It's such a shame when in church the pastor is going through the text and is like, let's skip this section. What do you mean? It's the Word of God. Because people are going to be bored hearing names. You know, shame on us. That's the Word of God. Everything is profitable. So then we keep moving for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, and then see the result. So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you want to be equipped for everything that God wants you to do in your life? You do? Mm -hmm. Well, Scripture is all you need. That's what it says. We can be equipped for everything we have to do in our life to please God through this book. It is completely sufficient. Um, the next verse is also key. 2 Peter 1.3 By His divine power, by His divine power, the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness, that will be salvation and sanctification, through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own honor and glory. Jesus said, you read the scriptures because in them you hear about me. You learn about me. Here we see that with the knowledge of Christ, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, do not go beyond the things that are written. So, why do people use carnal means to attract unbelievers in church? Well, because it works. Yeah. <laughs> because it works. Uh, why do they have smoke machines and, uh, and, uh, and songs that are not spiritual songs? And uh, why do they have like funny jokes and uh, all kinds of uh, cultural... Uh, yeah. All the Holy Spirit's presence of God is not entertaining to them. I mean, like I've listened to a lot of uh, some teaching R.C. Sproul, and he says, how, how can someone's spirit be born in the presence of God? Like if someone if you leave the church and says, that's yeah, absolutely boring, then either they were born in the presence of God or the presence of God wasn't there. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And that, that's the, those, those are the two things. And what is the ultimate problem that they have if we go back to the study? Because it's all true what you said, but I want you to see something else. Why do they use carnal means to attract unbelievers uh, in the church? Because they don't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. You know, Scripture is not enough. You just preach the Bible. People are going to come and be saved. Like, that's not going to work. 
Well, yes, it will. Don't you believe that God is enough? You don't have to use all those things that are just foolish and pagan. That, that's not how it goes. We have to believe that this uh, word of God is actually sufficient. So how about this one? How, why do people use carnal means to evangelize others during the week? Yes? Second Timothy chapter 4, verses <coughs> 2 through 4. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Yeah, it's good. So that's actually, we need more preaching when people are harder. Um, soft preaching or no preaching makes hard people, and strong preaching, biblical preaching, makes soft-hearted people. That's how it goes. And so, again, the answer is because people, thanks for sharing, uh, people do not believe in the sufficiency of scriptures. So they, they think that when I go to evangelize, I have to, you know, have all kinds of things happening in my booth or you know, have like some, some things for people to eat and then just rely on that, just talk about the weather. And they don't actually believe the Bible is enough. So they will just add many things. They will actually not believe in the, in the power of the gospel to save anyone who believes, Roman, Romans 1, 16. So do we believe that this word is actually enough for people to be saved? And the same is true about Christians going to psychiatrists and mental therapists and, and uh, you know, someone has a small problem in the church, they will say, you know, talk to other Christians, talk to the pastor. But if they have a big problem, some big issues in their family, they'll say, you need to go to the, to the, the psychiatrist. You know, that's just completely foolish. These people, they don't believe in God. They don't believe in sin. They don't believe that there's such a thing that's good as guilt. They don't believe in any of those things and uh, they don't have the Word of God, how can they be of any help? It's actually going to get worse. But not only that, but the Bible is sufficient, and we have pastors to, to, to heal us. They are pastors, so they heal the sheep. And so the Bible is enough. And when we don't see that, when we don't even think like, so you have a problem in your life, what does the Bible say? You know, we don't go to the Bible because we don't actually believe it's sufficient. We don't have good habits, spiritual reflexes. We need to think the Bible is sufficient, so I'm going to find out what the Bible has to say about that. How about this one? When we do things in church, because we've always done it this way, we may actually not realize that we have things in the church that are not following what the Bible says. Because you see, if it's not in the Bible, we don't need it. That's how it goes. That's what it means, the sufficiency of Scripture. If it's not in the Bible, well, we don't need it for all prof profitable things to, to do good works for God. So it's actually such a relief. Wow, all I need to know, God has placed in the Bible. And I can not only have that soul, that's beautiful and from God and without errors and clear, but I actually need to use it and it's sufficient for all my needs. It is just the most important thing today. And I will tell you this, the, the overwhelming majority of churches do not believe in the sufficiency of scripture or they may believe it but they don't actually practice it. See, it's easy to say, yes, the Bible is sufficient, but are you actually asking, what does the Bible say about that? Are you actually asking, is the Bible saying that this is the thing that we do and we should do it? Most people don't ask those questions. So they may say that they believe in sufficiency, but in practice, there are many areas where they don't actually rely on the Word of God for what they do. So that's very important, it's very, very important. Uh, for further learning, and we will end on this, um, I would encourage you to study the regulative principle of worship, which means that scripture is sufficient, versus the normative principle of worship, which denies it. And then for uh, Jesus' view on the regulative principle, you can take a look at uh, Matthew 15, where Jesus says, In vain do they worship me, because they teach as doctrine the commandments of men, thus annulling, annulling the, the, the word of God. You can also Google uh, the sufficiency of scripture, and the different articles on topic from the master seminary. All right. Um, and also, please consider this one: living Coram Deo, that is in the presence of God. 
How have you failed this week or this month to live out the necessity, the sufficiency of Scripture in your family, in your personal life? And how could you reform your life to live out the fact that the Word of God is so necessary to you and to your family? How should you respond when you hear about those five characteristics of the Word of God? You know, how could you respond? All right, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We are in awe of you, Lord. We adore you for your word, your marvelous word. Help us to have daily devotions, Lord. Help us to rely on your word and not on uh, carnal means. Help us to be the people of the book. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.